Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and guys, I'm going to be honest with you up front here. I'm a little under the weather today. You might be able to hear it in my voice. I don't know if it's coming through or not, but I hear it in my own voice. But you know what? I'm not letting that stop me because, damn it, this is a big game. And I know, I know, Florida is only 4-3. and three. How can you say this is a big game, Tyler? They're out of the SEC East race. How is this such a big game? Well, because it's Georgia-Florida. And it's our biggest rivalry game each and every year. Yeah, I know we have a lot of rivals. And different rivals mean different things to different people in this state based on where you live. I understand that based on your experiences, based on your background. I get all that. But I think objectively, we can say as a fan base, this is the biggest one. And because it's a rivalry game, there is that added like anything can happen dimension. Because with rivals like this, you guys know it, it's so much deeper than just where the teams are in the standings. You see it year after year after year where some of these rivalry games, not all of them, but some of them between a highly ranked team and an overmatched opponent are closer than they should end up being. And sometimes that overmatched opponent finds a way to pull the magical upset. And then there's also the fact that we are number one in the country and Florida's season is circling the drain right now. Sure, this could go a couple of different ways. They could just fold. That's absolutely a possibility, especially with their head coach. Or, alternate viewpoint here, they could approach this like their Super Bowl and come out with their hair on fire, playing harder than they have all year, ending the playbook after the bye week with a, with a shot to ruin our season, their biggest rival season. I would probably err towards the latter. And then there's also the Dan Mullen factor and the how last year's game went factor. We can't lose to Dan Mullen again, guys. We just cannot. My constitution is already fragile right now as I'm a little under the weather. I can't handle that. I can't handle that right now. So yeah, I don't care that Florida is entering this game four and three. That doesn't matter to me. I, I know it's so cliche to say it. Throw the record books out the window in a rivalry game. I know that's so cliche. I'm cringing just to hear myself say it out loud. But that's kind of, in a way, how I feel heading into this game. To me, this is a big game. I don't care that they're out of the picture for Atlanta. I don't care they're 4-3. For us, this is a big game. And it is for Florida, too. This could make their season. Even though they're not going to Atlanta, those goals are dashed. Beating the number one team in the country, which happens to be your number one rival, that could be a, a feather in their cap this season. One potential saving grace on the year for the Florida Gators if they're able to do that. So that's how I'm going to approach this preview. I'm going to approach it as though this is a big game. Because to me, it is. And we will get to that preview here in just a second. But first, a couple quick reminders for you guys. Make sure if you're looking for any Georgia gear and accessories. I know, guys, like it's hard to believe, but the holiday season is rapidly approaching. Christmas will be here in just a couple of months. I know with supply chain shortages out there, a lot of you are getting an early start on your Christmas shopping. I know my parents are. My mom's been all over me about getting my Christmas list out there. Yes, my parents are awesome. They still 
asked for the Christmas list and they gave us a great Christmas even though I'm an old man now. So I'm very fortunate. But I know some of you guys out there are looking for the perfect gift for the Georgia fan in your life. And Alumni Hall is the answer, guys. They have everything that you could ask for in terms of Georgia gear and accessories. They got all the clothing brands. They've got Nike, Nike Golf, Columbia, Cutter and Buck, Johnny O, which I'm really getting into, Peter Millar, Columbia, whatever it is, they've got it. They've got tailgating accessories. They've got anything you could, and everything you'd want that has a G on it. All right. That this is the go-to place. You can visit them today online at alumnihall.com. Or if you're around the Athens area, you can visit them in person in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center. And they will absolutely take care of you. I also want to remind you guys out there, if you're going to the Georgia Florida game, it's not too late to get set up with the best tailgate experience there is in Jacksonville. GTE Presents is putting on an awesome Georgia-Florida tailgate with an open bars, food included, big screen TVs, a meet and greet with Brandon Boykin, fun games, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a blast, guys. So if you're looking for something to do and you don't want to do the whole tailgate setup and you don't know where to go in Jacksonville, just go to gtepresents.com right now, search for the Georgia-Florida tailgate, and book your package today. And also, if you are planning on making a trip to Athens here sometime in the near future or at some point in the distant future, whenever that might be. The Normal Town Cottage has you guys covered. It's the perfect spot to stay in Athens. It's just far enough away from the hustle and bustle, the crazy environment of downtown, but close enough to be able to get anywhere and everywhere you want to go, especially to the downtown scene, the restaurant, the bars, all of that. Also has free parking on the tree-lined streets. The best neighbor in Athens, bar none. They do have their own bars and restaurants just down the road. If you've been in Athens and you're familiar with the area, you guys know Normal Town, that, that's the place to be right now. So if you're making a trip to Athens, make sure to check out the Normal Town Cottage on Instagram, or you can just go to my Twitter profile, click on the link that's pinned there, and it'll take you directly to their Airbnb page. But all right, guys, let's go ahead and talk about the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. You guys know how we roll on the Glory UGA podcast. We try to give you the deepest of all the deep dives into each and every game that we play and this episode is no different. I've actually had an extra week to prepare for this one, so I dug even deeper than I normally do. I watched even more tape than I normally get a chance to. There's only so much time during the week when, you gotta, when you've got just a couple of days to get ready for it. I've had an extra week, so I feel like I've got a pretty good feel for this Florida Gator football team. I'm excited to share with you guys what I've got today. And we're going to go back to our countdown format that we've been using all season. We took a kind of a short little detour called an audible for the Kentucky game, but we're going back to our countdown format. I really like this format. I think it's worked really well. We got a lot of positive feedback on this. We're going to go back to it. If those of you who might be new to the Glory UGA podcast, what I mean by the countdown format is I'm going to give you five players to know, four stats that matter, three matchups to watch, two schemes, or two game plans, whatever you want to say there, and then one key to the game. So we're counting down 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, giving you a different look at the game during each segment. But let's go ahead and kick it off with our five players to know. And I know I say this every time we do this episode, but we always get new listeners, so I want to make sure everyone understands. Guys, I know there's more than five players to talk about on the Florida football team. I can go down the entire roster if you want me to. We just don't really have time for that. So I've highlighted five players, and really there's more than five players. A couple of these, are, there's going to be some bonus players here that you guys need to watch out for on Saturday in Jacksonville. We're going to start the quarterback position, and this is a two-for-one here, right? So we've got Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. Emory Jones has been the guy for the vast majority of the season. He's been there for four years. He's been around for a long time. He was the guy starting the season. He was the guy coming to the year that the Florida fans were all excited about. There was even talk about him being a potential Heisman Trophy candidate because, hey, it's Dan Mullen. It's a quarterback whisperer, right? Well, you know what? Hasn't worked out that way, all right? You know, so no one wants to admit it. You don't want to hear people actually say it out there. Maybe Dan Mullen isn't the quarterback whisperer. Maybe he's just had a couple of really good quarterbacks to work with every now and then. And it doesn't always work out where Dan Mullen just takes a quarterback and instantly turns him into a superstar. There's plenty of cases where that hasn't worked out. Felipe Franks, right? Felipe Franks. Not great at Florida. Not great at Dan Mullen. He couldn't crack the code there. Emory Jones has been with Dan Mullen basically his entire career. Hasn't worked out. You can go back to Mississippi State. Nick Fitzgerald improved from where he was coming out of high school, but he certainly hit his ceiling and never really was able to get past that. So yeah, he's had some high profile guys. He's had, you know, Kyle Trask last year. He's had Tim Tebow in the past. You know, he had obviously Dat Prescott at Mississippi State, but there's also those guys in between where it's like, Oh, well, it didn't really work out. But no one wants to mention that. And Emory Jones is one of those guys. Anthony Richardson is the young gun. He's the guy that's a redshirt freshman, their second year in the program. He's the same year as Carson Beck. In fact, Florida 
thought they had Carson Beck, and then we were able to, to flip Carson Beck to our side, and they went and got Anthony Richardson. That's how Anthony Richardson ended up in Gainesville. And Anthony Richardson, the fans have been calling for him. The Florida fans have been calling for him really all season long. We've seen him in spurts early in the year, and he was impressive in those games against lesser competition. And you know how this works. The backup quarterback is usually the most popular guy on the roster. That is, unless your name is Stetson Bennett. So the fans at Florida have been calling for him for a while. He missed a couple games. With, I think it was a hamstring injury earlier in the year. He's now back. And LSU, the most recent game they played before their bye week last week, was where he saw his most extensive action. In fact, he played essentially the entire second half. He led them on four straight touchdown drives. That's why I think Anthony Richardson will probably be the guy that opens this game, and I think we'll see more of him than Emory Jones, as long as he doesn't like face plant. Now, if he face plants, maybe Dan Mullen reverts back to Emory Jones. That's certainly possible. But I do think to open the game, the plan will be to use Anthony Richardson and to give him as as much playing time as they possibly can, unless he just can't hack it. And then you might see Emory Jones as well. I, I, I certainly wouldn't discount seeing Emory Jones. I think it's possible, maybe even likely, we'll see him in some capacity at some point in this game. But I do expect the plan to be coming into this game that Anthony Richardson is going to be the guy that's going to start and they're going to try to play him as much as they can. That's my anticipation based off how the LSU game went a couple of weeks ago. But let's talk about these guys and kind of their skill sets a little bit here. Emory Jones, again, he's a guy that's played much more than Anthony Richardson throughout the year. He's thrown for 1,300 yards in the year, 67% completion percentage, 7.5 yards per attempt, very, very average there, 10 touchdowns to nine interceptions. He's certainly not a passer. He's an erratic passer, a highly erratic passer. Now, Dan Mullen does a good job with their run game, being able to scheme up guys open down the field in the pass game, and he, he can hit them every now and then, but there are routine throws. I'm talking about a 10-yard hitch. I'm talking about uh, a speed out. I'm talking about uh, a, an RPO slant where he just misses wide open guys and misses them badly, badly. But he does bring value in the run game. He's rushed for almost 500 yards in the year, 494, 5.8 yards per rush and two touchdowns. There's value there. That's what Dan Mullen really puts a premium on with his quarterbacks is their ability to be able to run the football. Now, Richardson, a much smaller sample size, obviously, has thrown for 392 yards on the year, 56.8% completion percentage. So he's not even Emory Jones, I think, is an erratic passer. Anthony Richardson has been even more erratic. But he is averaging 10.6 yards per attempt. I will say in, in his limited sample size, Richardson has tended to try to push the ball down the field more than Emory Jones. Those are lower percentage throws. So that is likely a contributing factor to his lower completion percentage. He's thrown five touchdowns to three interceptions, threw a couple bad interceptions against LSU. So did Emory Jones. They both threw bad interceptions. Emory Jones threw a pick six in that game. But Anthony Richardson is also a very good runner. 348 yards rushing. 12.4 yards per attempt on only 28 carries. That's crazy, guys. 12.4 yards per attempt. That's explosiveness in the run game. So if you're looking at these guys, Richardson, I mean, just from a physical profile, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's a more physical runner. Jones is physical enough. I might say he, like, in the open field, he's more elusive than Richardson. I think you could say that, although I don't think either guy has, like, super quick twitch ability. They're elusive enough, but they're not, like, quick twitch, like, let's say Kadarius Tony was for, for Florida last year. They don't have that kind of running ability, and they don't create as much in the past game. Like, like you know, Bo Nix, I've used this example a couple of times. He, what makes him unique is that he's just, he extends plays. He's so creative with his backyard ability back there like when he's playing like backyard Bo Nix is what I call him he, he extends plays and just runs around does the, the oop-de-oop and just has defenders running in circles basically Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones neither one of those guys have really shown that kind of ability but they are much more a factor in like the design quarterback run game but Richardson is bigger he's more physical Jones is, is a good runner just a different type of runner there Anthony Richardson has a very strong arm. He's got a cannon. He really does. And like, I'm not even talking about just like throwing the ball vertically down the field. Certainly he can do that. But trying to fit the ball in the tight windows, the ball comes out of his hand very quickly and it's a very live ball coming out of his hands. I mean, there is a little something, a little hot sauce on his passes. So he, he throws a good ball, but he hasn't really shown the ability yet. Again, I know small sample size. He hasn't really shown that he can fit the ball with touch when it's when it's required. He just throws a fastball. And it's a hell of a fastball, but he throws a fastball. But those are the two guys to watch for the quarterback position. Again, I think Anthony Richardson will probably be the guy to open the game. I can't guarantee that. I don't know. They're playing it close to the vest, just like we are with JT and Stetson. So we'll see how it plays out. I would probably expect to see both of them at some point, but I do expect Richardson to be the guy to open the game. Uh, next up, this one we got a three for one, all right? We're going to go over their top three running backs here because 
they really don't have like one feature back. So I could say, hey, Malik Davis, he's their leading rusher. Let's talk about him. But this, the carries and the yardage is so evenly split among these three guys that I'm just going to throw them all in here and call it a three for one. So let's talk about Malik Davis first since he is their leading rusher with 289 yards rushing, eight catches for 40 yards. I think he's kind of like the cross between Pierce and Wright, the other two running backs in, in their top three. He's not an especially explosive home run threat, but he can take it to the house. He's also not especially powerful, but he can operate efficiently between the tackles. He's the guy that'll probably start the game for them. He is their leading rusher on the year. The guy that I think has been their most productive player, however, at the running back position is a guy named Damian Pierce. He's actually out of Bainbridge, which is Kirby's hometown. We recruited him a little bit when he's coming out of high school, but we opted to go another direction. Uh, he wasn't really in our plans. He ends up in Gainesville. And he's a good back. He's not an elite back, but he's solid. He's good enough. He's gotten a little better. Um, he's got, again, 262 yards rushing on the year. He's their best receiver out of the backfield. 14 catches for 164 yards. He's kind of like a bowling ball when you watch him play. He's not as explosive as the other two guys, but I do think he's the best runner between the tackles. He's got a good level of patience. He uh, has good vision as well. He's not really a power back, but he is their most powerful back. He doesn't run as hard as like Zeus does, but he is the most powerful back of their of their trio of running backs that get the majority of carries for the Florida Gators. And then finally, the guy that I think is their most explosive weapon out of the backfield is a guy named Naquan Wright. He is a sophomore, played for them last year. He's got 218 yards rushing on the year. Uh, nine receptions for 119 yards. I think he is their biggest home run threat. They don't use him a ton. I often wonder why, because I do think he's their most explosive option out of the backfield. And I think he could be a dynamic receiver as well, even more so than Pierce, if they actually used him that way. But for whatever reason, they don't have as much confidence in him as Davis and Pierce. He doesn't get as much run as those guys. But I do think he's the most explosive guy they have in the backfield at the running back position. So when he's in there, guys, just watch out from understand that guy is a threat to take it to the house every time he touches the football. And I did mention their reception numbers as well because we, we have to mention this. We know, if you guys watched the game last year, I don't even want to talk about it because it just frustrates me, annoys me, it angers me. But they love getting their running backs involved in the pass game. Yep, we saw that last year, obviously with all the pick plays they're running. They murdered us with that. And this year, if you watch them closely, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but only a little bit. It feels like when you watch them play, it seems like the running backs are running a wheel route on basically every other pass play. They really have to get those guys on the edge, down the perimeter, run a wheel route. They'll run up the seams as well. They try to hit explosive plays with the running backs. It's not just checkdowns. They try to hit explosive plays with the running backs. We, again, we saw that last year. So that's certainly something to watch them, especially when you have a young quarterback in the game who might not be ready to make all the reads you're required to make. Getting the ball to the running back in space can be a really, really good option for them. So I expect the running back, especially after our last year, I expect them to be a big part of the game plan in the past game, just like they were last year. All right, let's move over to the defense side of the ball with our next player to know, and that is edge rusher Zachary Carter. He does lead the team in sacks with five and a half on the year. That's top five in the SEC. He also has eight and a half tackles for loss, which is actually first in the SEC when it comes to tackles for loss. So this guy is a very disruptive playmaker for Florida on the edge of that defense. Now, I did call him an edge rusher because that's what he is by trade, but he will play inside at times in certain downs and distances, particularly when they go to like their third down defense, when they have his third and long, kind of an obvious passing down. He's their best pass rusher, so they like to get him matched up on the inside against guards who aren't traditionally as good of pass protectors as your tackles are. And they try to get him opportunities there, mashed up one-on-one -on -one with some of those guards. And he can win those more often than not. He had to play a lot inside last year because they had a lot of injuries on the defensive line. And he's just not cut out to play on the inside on a consistent down-by-down -down basis because he's just not big enough. He is an edge rusher. That's what he's built to do. But there are packages and downs and distance scenarios where he kind of does play very well inside because he's not asked to play the run. He's just asked to rush the passer. Now, one thing about Zachary Carter, he is disruptive. But a lot of times, those kind of guys will play out of control. And Zachary Carter is that guy at times. He will fly upfield with reckless abandon, and that will create running lanes underneath him. The other guy on the edge opposite him, guy that we know pretty well, Britton Cox, obviously was here at Georgia a couple years back, transferred to Florida. He does that even more so. So Carter's a little bit more disciplined than Britton Cox, but both those guys like to fly up the field, try to get after the passer, try to create havoc. And that does create some rushing lanes at times. So that's something that I would certainly watch for 
and see if we try to take advantage of that this year. But Zachary Carter is certainly a, a defender, a defensive playmaker to watch coming into this game. Uh, sticking with the defensive side of the ball, the next guy I'm going to go with is Kyer Elam, a cornerback. Now, he has not played a ton this year. He got hurt in the Alabama game. He came back for LSU, so he missed a couple games there, but he did come back a couple weeks ago against LSU heading into the bye week. When you watch Elam play, here's what I would say about him. He is very, very, very good. He is. He's an NFL cornerback, but I don't believe he's a shutdown corner. You guys know, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know I don't feel like you're even allowed to be a shutdown corner anymore. I don't know if those guys even exist at the college level at this point, but I do think he's about as close to it as you will see in the SEC this season. He's really quick. He's got great hips, really good body control, great ball skills. I mean, he's a high-level cornerback. He's clearly the best player in the secondary, and it's really not even close. So I don't want to sit here and say he's going to shut down a side of the field because that's not the case. I mean, LSU hit a touchdown pass on him a couple weeks ago. So we can have some success against him, but I do think he's their best player in the secondary, and it's not a guy that we're going to be able to pick on. I, I, I don't suggest that we completely shy away from him. I don't advocate that. You got to take your shots, but you also have to be aware of when you're throwing his direction because this is a guy that can be a game changer back there in the secondary of Florida and a secondary that just really doesn't have any other game changers at all. Speaking of that, the final player on my list of players to know here is Trey Dean III, who is now in his senior year playing safety for Florida after basically being tried out everywhere else in the secondary. They tried him at corner. That didn't work. He was a disaster there. They tried him at star inside. He, he was a disaster there. That didn't work. So I guess got one more spot we can try him. Let's put him at safety. And they just, you know, Florida doesn't recruit particularly well. So they've had some injuries. They've had some guys leave. And uh, so they turn to Trey Dean. And he's on this list, not because I think he's good. Usually this list of five players to, to know is a list of players I think are really good on the opposing team. They're best players, right? This one's the exception. I'm putting Trey Dean on here because I think he is a liability in the back end of that Florida defense. Explosive pass plays are there to be had against this Florida defense. And I truly believe that if Todd Munkin can scheme it up to get Trey Dean matched up one-on-one with our tight ends or a slot receiver, maybe it's Kyrus Jackson, maybe it's Lad McConkey, maybe it's Arian Smith, maybe it's Brock Bowers, maybe it's Darnell Washington, I think we're going to win that the vast majority of the time. I truly believe that. So that's why I have him on this list. Number zero, Trey Dean. Look for him and see if we can create matchups that favor us. I'm really, anyone is a matchup advantage for us against Trey Dean and coverage. If we can get him one-on-one, now they try to protect him and try to keep him out of that as much as possible because he just, that is not what this guy can does well. He's okay in run support. I'll give him that. He's okay. Now he'll miss a lot of tackles as well, kind of put his head down and just completely whiff on guys at times. But in coverage, this guy is an absolute liability. So if we can do some things, get our run game going and create opportunities to get him matched up one-on-one with really anybody, then I think we have a chance to some really explosive plays against this Florida secondary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
But all right, that's our five players to know. Let's move on to the next segment here, which is four stats that matter. And again, just a little disclaimer here. I'm going to give you more than four stats, but these are kind of like four statistical categories that I think matter in this game, right? And we're going to start with the Florida rushing offense compared to their passing offense. Guys, if you haven't watched Florida this year, which I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, this team can run the football. They can absolutely run the football. They're top five nationally rushing offense, actually number four nationally, averaging 254 yards a game. They're actually number one nationally in yards per rush, averaging 6.33 yards per rush. That's big time, guys. They are as good as any non-option team at running the football in the country this year. They are. And honestly, what they do, it's really kind of like a modern version of the option, like not exactly, but the principles are very similar in a lot of ways. So they clearly want to run the football. That's what this offense does. Very different from last year's Florida team, right? They want to throw the football. They couldn't run the football to save their lives because Dan Mullen does not know how to scheme up a running attack unless he has a mobile quarterback. Well, this year, he's got two mobile quarterbacks, and they are running the football at an elite level. Passing game, though, it's not terrible, but certainly not particularly good either. They're 53rd nationally in passing offense, averaging 247 yards a game. Again, not bad. They're not entirely incapable of throwing the football. I would say, like, think about a team that we've played this year that I would compare them to. I think it's comparable to Auburn's passing attack, where they have inconsistent quarterback play, but that can be, like, mysteriously good at times, but usually pretty bad and, and certainly erratic. And they've got good but not dynamic weapons to work with in the pass game. That's kind of what I would compare their their passing offense to. So they really use the pass game as kind of a constraint. They want to run the football, and they'll run the football to kind of create big big plays in the passing game. That's what they want to try to do. Unfortunately for them, it's just been kind of hit or miss with their quarterbacks. And then the second stat that matters, let's kind of build off of that. So talking about how much they want to run the football Really what they want to do is they want to feature the quarterback in the run game. Get this, guys. So their top two quarterbacks, well, the, the two guys they roll with, Emory Jones, who's been the quarterback for the majority of the year, Anthony Richardson, who I think is going to be the guy coming to this game. Those two quarterbacks have combined for 852 rushing yards between them, all right? Florida's top five, not in the top three, their top five running backs this year have combined for 883 rushing yards. So top five running backs combined for Florida have combined for 30 more rushing yards than their two quarterbacks. That tells you exactly what Florida wants to do in the run game. This is the traditional Dan Mullen offense. This type of scheme is what he has built his career on. Going back to like Alex Smith even at Utah, obviously Tim Tebow at Florida, Dak Prescott to a degree at Mississippi State. Even Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi State. This is what Dan Mullen does well when he has a quarterback like this. And he schemes it extraordinarily well. Just saying quarterback run game, that doesn't really do it justice. You guys know I am not a Dan Mullen guy. I loathe that human being. But I got to give credit where credit is due. And he is a good offensive coach. And he does a really good job of scheming up the run game, particularly the quarterback run game. It's very diversified what they do with their quarterbacks. Yeah, they'll run quarterback power. They'll run quarterback counter. I've seen quarterback dive, quarterback sweep, old school zone read. They'll run bash, which is where you're basically, it's, it's kind of a, a version of the zone read where instead of reading the backside end, you're reading the front side end. Um, and you're kind of basically the running back is running a, a sweep and you're reading that defensive end. He goes to the running back, the quarterback takes it. He runs the offensive lines blocking away from the running back to block for the quarterback. Essentially, if the end takes quarterback, you hand off on the sweep there and the running back's got a lot of room on the outside. So they'll run that a lot. They'll run some speed option. They run a ton of things with the quarterback. So it's not just saying quarterback run game. It's a very diversified quarterback run game. That's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to stop, especially when you have really good athletes back there running the football. And Dan Mullen, again, got to give the guy credit where credit's due. He builds the pass game off of that. He builds the pass game off the quarterback run game. There's one play in particular that really caught my attention. I mean, when I, I honestly, when I'm watching this Florida offense and I and I see how they scheme it up, I, I I have, I hate to admit it, I have some admiration for what Dan Mullen can do in terms of scheming up an offense. And, and I, I don't really have any admiration for him at all in the other walk of life. But in this regard, I, I got to be honest with you. Um, there's just one play that stands out to me. I, I watched it again last night. There's this play against LSU. They ran it a couple times, but uh, they ran it for a big game at one point in the second half. 
where they, they line up with 21 personnel with two running backs, one tight end. The two running backs are opposite the quarterback, one on either side of the quarterback. And they make it look like bash, right? So the, you got one running back that is play side where he's kind of running out like he's blocking. And you got the running back that's looking like he's getting the football, right? On the sweep action, on that bash action. And what that does, it gets the linebackers flowing with that run fake. And that other back, yeah, he initially is acting like he's blocking, but he flies up the seam and all the, the defense's eyes, they're all on the running back, they're all on the quarterback because you're stressing the defense multiple ways. You're running bash. The defense is already stressed because they're thinking, okay, is the quarterback going to hand off to the running back or is he going to pull it himself? They're already stressed thinking about that. And then you slide that lead blocking running back up the seam. No one's paying attention to him. And he's wide open. You hit a big play right there. And that's the kind of thing that Florida does. They put stress on defense. They put you in conflict. They get your eyes in different places. They mess with your eye discipline. And that's how they create big plays. So he does a really good job scheming up with the quarterback run game and building that pass game off of it. So rushing attack, very good for Florida. But the next stat that matters here, let's talk about their rush defense. Overall... Like on the year, they've been okay stopping the run. They're 54th nationally, 7th in the SEC, giving up 140 yards a game. They're 59th in the country in yards per rush allowed. But they got absolutely lit up on the ground by LSU in their last game before the bye week. LSU ran for 321 yards on the ground in a whopping 7.1 yards per attempt. Tyrion Davis-Price set an LSU single-game rushing record against the Gators in Baton Rouge a couple weeks ago. And the thing is, LSU has not been able to run the ball on anyone else. And then they exploded against Florida, and they did it without the threat of a pass game. There was no Kayshawn Butte in that game. LSU was no threat to throw the ball down the field. Florida knew it, and they still couldn't stop it. And they couldn't stop it against a team that has been abysmal, dreadful, trying to run the football this year. LSU is 108th nationally in rush offense, and that's with this 321-yard outburst against Florida. They've been held under 100 yards rushing in five of their eight games on the year. And outside of the Florida game, they had not rushed for more than 147 yards in any other single game and not rushed for more than 4.2 yards per attempt in any other single game outside this game against Florida. And that rushing offense ran over and through the Florida defense. What does that tell me? Well, that tells me that does not bode well for Florida against a Georgia offense that runs the ball significantly better than LSU and has a more capable passing attack with more weapons to defend and who is finally getting a lot of those weapons back on that side of the ball. So what what happened? Like, what's the issue for Florida against the run? And this, like, I'm not going to say I predicted LSU was in a run for 321 because they hadn't been able to run the football all year long. But I told you guys earlier in the year, one of the things that I thought was going to hold this Florida team back is they are weak up the middle of that defense and LSU absolutely exploited that, 100% exploited that. And the issue is, like I just said, they are average at best on the interior of that defensive line. Daquan Newkirk, Antonio Valentino, two transfers that got a lot of publicity coming over this year. Uh, Newkirk came over from Auburn, Valentino came over from Penn State. And I like they were getting all this love coming over when they transferred. I was like, why? Like, what have they done? Like, they haven't done anything. Newcourt hadn't done anything for Auburn. I didn't understand all the love that they were getting. I guess because they just needed some guys. And hey, they came from Power 5 school. So hey, I guess they're going to be good. But like, no, they hadn't really done anything. And that's kind of showing up this year. Jervon Dexter is a former five-star player. He plays nose guard for them a lot of the time. He's just not built for that, really. He's he's fine. He's good at times. He makes some plays. He's an athletic guy up front. But he gets moved far too easily. All three of those guys get moved far too easily and just oftentimes don't even offer much resistance at all. They're not overly disruptive. They're just average. They're average at best. Those are top three guys on the defensive line. They're just okay. They're just okay. Then I would say they're below average at inside linebacker. Mahmoud Diabite and Amari Bernie are the starters. They're the guys that play more than the other guys. What really hurt them is one of their stars, Ventrell Miller, who wasn't really all that good himself, but he was like the, the best pure inside linebacker they had. He got hurt earlier in the year. He's out for this season. So Diabite, I mean, he is undersized, dude. He's 215, 220, soaking wet. He's a good athlete. He can run. He plays in space well. But if you run right at him, 
guy can't handle it. Uh, he just has trouble getting off blocks. Amari Bernie is a guy who's gone back and forth between playing inside linebacker and star. He's kind of been a tweener for them. They can't figure out exactly where he plays. He's not quite big enough and strong enough to hold up. At least he hasn't throughout his career as an inside linebacker, but he's not fast enough and athletic enough to really play stars. He's kind of been a tweener for them, but they're having to roll with him with Ventrell Miller's injury. And then the guys that got behind them, they do play a fair amount, Tyron Harper and Jeremiah Moon. Harper has, Harper has no idea what's going on. He is absolutely lost out there. Whether it's in coverage, whether it's run fits, he just is lost, man. That dude has no clue what's going on. He's a liability for them. And then Jeremiah Moon, that that dude's an edge rusher. He's been an edge rusher his entire career. And now he's being forced to play inside linebacker at times. And yeah, he moves well for an edge rusher, but he doesn't move well for an inside linebacker. And he has absolutely no instincts there whatsoever. He also seems like he has no clue what's going on there half the time when he's lined up uh, as an out, as an inside linebacker, so not none of those guys. Honestly, I don't think any of them really play the the run well when you run right at them. I think they're weak on the interior, and those are the biggest issues they're having against the run. That's those were the issues they had against LSU a couple weeks ago. And then on top of that, you got some undisciplined edge rushers who love to fly up field and get those sexy sack stats, and that creates rushing lanes. I do think, as I said earlier, Zachary Carter is better. He's a very good edge player. Britton Cox. Man, I know he talks a big game. I'm sure he's going to play play very hard in this game, right? Because it's Georgia. But game in and game out, you watch this guy play. He doesn't even seem interested in playing half the time. Like whether he's rushing the passer or the run, but especially the run. He he has no interest in playing the run the vast majority of the time. He will blindly take himself out of so many plays. He's so, so weak setting the edge. Like it's pathetic, honestly, to watch him try to set the edge. It's just a joke. He's really not even trying. I'm going to give you one more thought on this on the Florida rush defense. I think they're vulnerable to the run, whether it's inside zone, outside zone, truck sweep, whatever it might end up being. I think they're vulnerable really anything that we want to do running the football. I think they're especially vulnerable to gap scheme stuff where you're pulling guards, you're pulling tackles, you're pulling tight ends, H-backs, all that kind of stuff, especially the counter trap, all right? And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about with counter trap, it's essentially where the offensive line is blocking down. Then you have the H-back or tight end kind of insert as an insert block, like, like an ISO block, basically, on the star who's trying to get there in the box. And you pull the guard and tackle around. One of those guys is going to kick out the defensive end. That's the guy you're trapping. You're not blocking him. He's coming up field. You're going to kick him out. And then you're going to lead through the hole with the lead blocker there who's pulling through. And they gashed Florida. LSU gashed Florida over and over and over with that play. I haven't seen us run that particular version of the counter much this year but if I saw that you better believe that Todd Munkin saw that and it would not surprise me at all in fact I would I hope that we put that play in the playbook during the bye week because you gotta force Ford to stop that they had no answer for that play they tried to get guys in the box and it did not matter they had no answer for it at all so to me put that in the playbook and run that play over and over again because Florida could not stop. They were biting off chunks of yardage against the Gators with that counter trap play. And then finally, the last stat that matters here is Florida's record. Florida's four and three on the year, guys. They are out of the picture for Atlanta. They, they ain't going to the SEC title game. They're not going to the college football playoff. They know it. Now, this could be a, a situation where they just fold because their goals are out the window. Or they come out, like I said earlier, with their hair on fire. They want to beat the number one team in the country. They want to beat their number one rival. They want to ruin our season. That's probably what I'm expecting to happen. Or at least that's the effort I expect them to make. We'll see, though. And and we like to make fun of Florida. We like to make fun of Dan Mullen this show, of course. So we, they're sitting there at four and three. It's easy to point and laugh. But there's some context here. And I hate, I hate this pains me to do it, guys. I'll be real with you. It pains me to do it. I don't want, like giving Florida any credit whatsoever. But I'm trying to paint the picture for you. So let me try to do that here. They are four and three, but those three losses are by combined 16 points. They are all one score games. If you look at this Florida team, you guys know I'm big on like total yards differential, point differentials. I think it gives you a really good insight into how good a team is. Like if a team's four and three and they're plus 1,143 yards in the year, like Florida is, what that tells you is they've been either been unlucky or they just have lost some very close games, which is what's happened here. Florida's lost some close games. There's been some key plays in each of those games. You go back to Alabama where they missed two-point conversion. You go back to the Kentucky game where they got that blocked field goal that was returned for a touchdown that changed that game. A few plays here and there, and they might be 6-1 and one because a team that's plus 
1,000, 1,100 yards on the year, it's typically not going to be a 4-3 and three team at this stage. They're also plus 93 points on the year. But that's where they are. And you are who your record says you are, right? Now, I'll give you some context here. On the year, we are plus 1,555 yards and plus 223 points. So if you look at either of those categories, and this is not a tell-all stat, right? It's not a be-all, end-all. But I do think it gives you a good indication of kind of how good a team is. Um, and we're clearly better than Florida. And you don't even need me to give you those numbers to tell you that. You guys know that, right? Like you, you understand that. But to give you a little more context here, Arkansas, let's go over some of the better teams we played the past couple of weeks, all right? Arkansas right now is plus 1,047 yards, plus 74 points. Kentucky's plus 468 yards, plus 64 points. I told you guys coming to the Kentucky week that they've been smoking mirrors and that, that's just the case. Auburn, plus 742 yards, plus 110 points. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, and again, I understand, guys. Trust me, I get it. Total yards differential, total point differential, that's not the be-all, end-all. But it, I, again, I think it gives you a pretty good perspective here. I think you can make a strong argument that despite their record, this is the best team that we have faced. And I know we've kind of said that each of the past, what, however many weeks now, whether it was Arkansas, then Auburn, then Kentucky, and now Florida. But I think you can make that argument. I think you can also make a case that Auburn is, is the best team that we have played. Uh, I think Auburn is getting better each and every week with this new coaching staff. And I think Auburn has a chance to, to go down the stretch and end up with a two or three loss team. They're, I think they're better than they, than I thought they would be coming into the year. Even Bo Nix is starting to play a little bit better. And they have a big matchup with Ole Miss this week, which will tell us a lot more. Though Ole Miss is not 100% healthy right now, so maybe it won't tell us as much. But that's still a big matchup. So you can make an argument that Auburn's the best team that we face, especially the fact that it was on the road. But I think you can also make an argument that Florida is the best team that we played, even though they're sitting there with a 4-3 and three record. Now, I know you can say, well, Kentucky beat Florida. You're right, they did. They did beat Florida. It's a very close game. Florida made some critical mistakes down the stretch that cost in that game. And that's part of being a good team. You can't make mistakes like that. You're not a good team if you make those kind of mistakes. And Florida made those kinds of mistakes. So again, you are who your record says you are, but this Florida team is also good enough and talented enough to beat us if we don't bring it. If we don't match their intensity that I expect them to have, if we don't come out there focused, which I fully expect us to, but if we don't, and we play down and, and we have one of those games, we bring like our B minus C level game and Florida plays a, a really good football game. They are talented enough to beat us, all right? They are good enough to beat us if we do not bring it. That's all I'm trying to say, right? So I know they're four and three. We want a point, we want to laugh because we hate Florida, we hate Dan Mullen, and I'm right there with you. I hate them too. But objectively, they're better than your typical four and three team. I just want to put that out there. But all right, let's transition to our next segment, which is three matchups to watch. Now, what I'm going to open with here, this is the one I really don't want to talk about because it brings up some bad memories, man. I didn't want to think about it. But we got to talk about it, right? We got a game to preview. And the first matchup to watch here is the Georgia linebackers versus the Florida running backs in the pass game. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Let's talk about it again. You guys saw the same game that I saw. Florida's running backs, and I hate to relive it, but they had 10 catches last year combined. Their running backs combined for 10 catches for 212 yards against our defense last year. That was the best thing they had going for them last year, guys. We could not stop the wheel route. We couldn't stop the rub routes, the pick plays, all those things. Now, I imagine as frustrated as we were watching that, you know, our coaching staff and our players were equally, if not more frustrated. So I imagine that we have prepared for that and that we'll be ready for those things. But I also imagine that Dan Mullen saw what happened last year, and you would think he would test us again early on with that to see if we've been able to clean that up from last year. And he might even have a few little wrinkles off that as well. Eye discipline is so, so important against Florida because they really do like to run those rub routes. They like to get guys in space and do different things, get your eyes in different directions, show you different things with the window dressing. They really try to run those constraint plays, and eye discipline is really, really important against Florida. So the first matchup, going back to last year, will our linebackers do a better job of defending the Florida running backs in space in the pass game? That is priority number one. Maybe 1A behind stopping the run. Stopping the run is going to be priority number one, but you got to be able to contain the Florida running backs in the pass game, especially when you have a young quarterback who I think is going to get the start here. You imagine probably lean on those running backs early and often in the pass game. All right, the second matchup to watch here is what I'm going to call the Battle of the Todds. Offense coordinator Todd Munkin for the Bulldogs versus defense coordinator Todd Grantham for the Gators. And look, as I know, the matchup between Mullen's offense and Kirby's defense two masters at their craft on their respective sides of the ball. I know that's getting most of the attention heading into this game and maybe deservedly so, 
But I happen to think that it's the undercard between Todd Munkin and Todd Grantham that might end up being more important in this game. Because I think this is the biggest mismatch in the entire game. I really believe that. I think Todd Munkin is a beast. I have made no secret of that. You guys know how I feel about Todd Munkin. I think this guy is a game changer for us. He's been a big part of why this team is starting to take the next step. Obviously, our defense has been great, but Todd Munkin has changed the game for us offensively, even with all the injuries. He's taken what we've had with all these injuries, and he's made it work every single week. I mean, think back to, to, to 2019, guys. I know we had some injuries then, too, but think about how impotent we were in 2019 with just a couple of injuries, a fraction of the injuries that we're dealing with right now, and how we just could not score. We could not move the football. That's different this year. We've had a lot of injuries on offense. Even our starting quarterback got injured on offense. And Todd Munkin hasn't blinked. Our offense, I'm not going to say hasn't missed a beat, but we are still scoring. We are still producing. We're still doing enough to beat teams going away and covering some really large spreads. So Todd Munkin's a beast, man. And like I'll say this, Dan Mullen gets so much credit for like fitting his scheme to his personnel, but Dan Mullen's not the only coach that can do that. Todd Munkin does an outstanding job of that as well. And I, I just love our chances here to scheme guys open and create big play opportunities. We did it last year over and over again. I mean, how many times we see guys running open, man? I think Dwan Mathis missed so many guys. Think about John Fitzpatrick dropping that pass last year for like maybe could have been a touchdown it's the same play that Brock Bowers took for like what an 80 plus yard touchdown against UAB earlier this year so we were just dialing up plays we just weren't executing last year at least not after those first two drives so will we execute this year I think so I think we have a better chance of doing that and I think guys are gonna be open just like they were last year especially with how aggressive Todd Grantham likes to play I think that Todd Munkin is going to have the answers for that aggressiveness. And the final matchup to watch here is the Georgia wide receivers slash tight ends, our skill players, versus the Florida secondary. Guys, I can guarantee you that Florida is going to come out loaded up to stop the run. Just listen to Dan Mullen's Monday press conference to know that. And even you, don't, you don't, really don't even listen to that. It's just common sense. They want to make us play left-handed. Everybody thinks we can't throw the football to win. So they're going to try to make us do it. And I think that we need to be able to do that. We need to have success in the pass game against this Florida secondary. I think that the, that we can. I think we have the answers there. I think Kyrie Elam is really good. But as I said earlier, there are a lot of other opportunities to take advantage of different guys in the secondary, whether it's Trey Dean, whether it's Amari Bernie, who might at times be playing out there at star, whether it's Trevez Johnson, who plays star the majority of the time for them. There's going to be opportunities for us to hit big plays in the passing game. And we, our guys have got to win. Lab McConkie's got to win. Kyrus Jackson, if he's out there, has got to win. Jermaine Burton's got to win. A.D. Mitchell's got to win. We've got to win the outside because they are going to be geared up to stop the run. And if we can hit some of those pass plays, it's going to make it very, very difficult for Florida to stop our offense. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Okay, let's move on to our next segment, which is going to be two game plans. And we're going to start with the Georgia defense. So we've had some practice playing mobile quarterbacks the past couple of weeks. Going back to Arkansas, you got Auburn, you got Kentucky. There's been some mobile quarterbacks that we've played. I think that helps us in this game. We have some experience against those kind of guys. Now, they're not carbon copies of Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson, but there's certainly similarities there. There's some carryover. Now, again, these four guys are a little different. I do think that Dan Mullen schemes his quarterback run game better than anyone that we have played to this point. We are going to have to account for the quarterback run game on every single play. There's no doubt about that. Now, what's going to be what's going to be important for us to be able to do is to be able to do that to account for the quarterback run game on every play with six guys in the box and not have to roll guys down and create those kind of big play opportunities on the outside. So how do you do that? How do we stop 
This dynamic Florida rushing attack, number four in the country with even numbers with six guys in the box, especially with how they create numbers of advantage with the quarterback run game. How do you do that? Well, number one, I think obviously you have to be disciplined and very deliberate in your pass rush. We had a question in the mailbag earlier this week. Do we need to go mush rush in this game? I don't think we have to go mush rush. No, I don't think we have to, especially on obvious passing downs. But we need to have a plan. You can't just rush the passer without a plan with reckless abandon. That is going to get you beat. You got to be aware of the scramble and you got to rush the passer in a way that funnels any potential scramble where you want it to be funneled, where you have guys ready and waiting for that quarterback scramble. You just got to be disciplined. You got to be deliberate in how you do that. Now, one thing that I expect to see a lot of, and it's something that I would incorporate a lot into our game plan. Now, you can't run it every single down because you can't run anything every single down. You can't be that predictable. But I would work in a lot of odd mirror, which is a defense that we run. It's basically a, a quarterback spy defense. We, when I say mirror, where it's 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 the equivalent of saying spying the quarterback, which is what most people would say. But in our verbiage, it's mirror, okay? And what we do with odd mirror, it's really a four-man rush, but we have three down linemen. It looks like an odd front, hence odd mirror, right? But it's really a four-man rush. That fourth rusher could be an outside linebacker or an inside linebacker. But what that fourth guy is doing is he's typically off the line. Sometimes he's on the edge there, but he can also be off the line of scrimmage, kind of like playing like inside linebacker, looking like he's playing inside linebacker. And that guy is mirroring the quarterback. And he triggers as a rusher as soon as the quarterback breaks the pocket, all right? That's essentially, in a nutshell, it's more complex than that, but in its basic form, that's what odd mirror is. And when we're running that, the three down linemen who are rushing the passer, you want to rush, like you want your pass rush to kind of crash to force the quarterback to scramble to the outside because that's where all your help is. So I expect to see a lot of that and different variations of that. There's different things we can run off of that, but I expect that to be a big part of our game plan, like that concept. But in general, I think we just need to do what we've been doing from a structural standpoint, try to defend the run with even numbers. And I know it feels like I've been saying this each and every week for the past however many weeks, but just humor me. Let me say it again. I do think that Florida is going to be our biggest challenge to date in terms of stopping a run game with how well they scheme up their run game and how they create numbers of advantages with their very dynamic quarterback run game. But as far as I'm concerned, do what we do until someone forces us out of it. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have some wrinkles in it here and there against this Florida offense from like a an aesthetic standpoint. But structurally, why would we change what we've been doing? It's worked against everyone. Do it until someone forces us out of it. And if Florida can force us out of it, then tip your cat to him and let's adjust. But structurally, why would we just come out rolling guys in the box? Even though they run the ball really, really well, why would we do that if we don't have to? Let's try to stop the run with even numbers. You got guys like Jordan Davis who just command double teams like that. It gives us the chance to do it each and every week, even against teams like Florida. Because the thing about Florida guys, they run the ball well, but it's all about scheme. They're not great up front. They're really not. They don't move a lot of people. So if we can win up front, I think we still have a chance, despite how they scheme it up, to hold them in check relatively. I'm not going to say completely shut them down because they run the ball so well, but hold them relatively in check compared to what other teams have done all throughout the year. Now, from a coverage standpoint, I'll say it's kind of tough. It's tough to decide what to go with here because Florida, again, they scheme it up well. They run a ton of RPOs and a ton of rub routes. That's by design, okay? The best way to defend RPOs is with man coverage because with man coverage as RPOs, you're not giving them the space that teams give them if you're running zone. And it's also not giving the offense as easy of a read. But Florida knows that. Dan Mullen understands that and that a lot of teams like to play man coverage, take away RPOs. So he packages that with a lot of rub routes, which are really good attacking man coverage because it kind of creates that natural separation. And if you're a defender, you call those pick plays. If you're an offensive coach, you call them a rub route. It just depends on your perspective there. And they have been really effective kind of combining those RPOs with rub routes and making it really hard for defenses. Like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Now, man coverage also makes it tougher to defend quarterback scrambles because you're turning your back to the quarterback. But again, that can be mitigated if you have a defender dedicated to mirroring the quarterback, but that can also be tough because then you're taking a guy out of coverage. It's just, they put a lot of pressure on your defense. That's one of the things that makes them so difficult to handle because they just put you in conflict in different ways. Now, we have been running a lot more zone this year. We've talked about that in the past couple of weeks. I think 
and this maybe maybe this is obvious, but to me, the answer is mixing it up from a coverage standpoint between man and zone and different kinds of zones. Run some two man where you got two deep safeties in that in that shell and you got man underneath. Run some some three match stuff where you're playing like like pattern match coverage is essentially like if you're if you know if you're a basketball fan like it's basically like matchup zone in basketball where like you're playing a zone but you're playing man coverage within that zone against whoever comes into that zone. Kirby's been doing that for a long time. We'll run some quarter stuff. We'll run some two trap. There's different things that we can do, but you got to mix it all up because to me, the reason that's the answer is because that is what's going to confuse a young quarterback like Anthony Richardson if he is the guy that gets his first career start. And that's going to make it tougher to get into a rhythm. We do not want to allow him to get into a rhythm and gain confidence early in this game. If you watch him play, I know it's a small sample size, but he can be inconsistent in his reads and you want to force the issue by showing Richardson some different looks at different times in different situations and just really get him off balance, get him off tilt there. And I think that could work to our advantage in this game. Now, from an offensive standpoint, our offensive game plan, like let's, let's think about what Florida's going to do. We all know what Todd Grant is going to do. He's going to do what he always does. He's going to dial up the pressure. He's going to be aggressive. That's just what Todd Grantham does. He can't help himself. That's what he does game in and game out. And as I said earlier, you know they're going to be keyed up to stop the run. You know that. They were gutted on the ground by a, a previously impotent LSU run game. We run the ball 63% of the time, and we've run the ball 72% of the time over the last three games. You know, coming to this game, that Florida defense wants to stop the run first and foremost. They're going to be keyed up to do that. They've heard that on a loop from coaches for the last two weeks. They're going to come out with their hair on fire to stop the run. So what does that mean? To me, that means they're going to be very vulnerable to play action early on in this game. If I'm calling plays here, now Todd Mungin is a far smarter man than I. He knows far more football than I could ever dream of knowing. But if I'm calling plays here, my very first play from scrimmage on offense, I'm going to take a play action vertical shot. That's what I'm doing. Get Lad McConkie, get Arian Smith, get Kyrie Jackson, get somebody mashed up on Trey Dean or Travez Johnson at star and let them burn those guys because they're going to bite hard against the run early in the game because they they have heard that over and over and over again about how bad they were against the against, against LSU and how much Georgia wants to run the football. You know that's priority number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five for them. So take advantage of that. Go with some play action early in the game. Throw to open up the run, all right? I know we haven't really done that so much this year, but I think that's the strategy to take in this game. I think we can run the football with success against Florida. I really do. But I also think we have a chance to hit some knockout blows, some haymakers early on this game, taking advantage of their aggressiveness. What I what I imagine is going to be their aggressiveness against the run to open this game. And I think we're going to be able to win on the outside, especially with some of the guys that we're getting back, like Jermaine Burton. I think Arian Smith's going to be back. Marcus Rose is going to be Jack Saint's going to be back. Kyrus Jackson's getting closer and closer to 100%. I think we're going to have chances to win on the outside against those guys if we'll just take advantage of those opportunities. And I think if we hit some big plays, we're going to force them out of their game plan. We're going to get them scrambling on defense. Then we can turn the ground game and pound them into submission in the second half because they will quit. Trust me, this team will quit. I think we just got to hit some big plays in the pass game. Target trade D number one. Target Travez Johnson at star number two, Avery Helmet cornerback number three, and wherever Jeremiah Moon is, if he's in the game and inside linebacker, target him in pass coverage as well. If we can get him in man coverage, it's really anybody, tight ends, slot guys, whoever it might end up being, running backs even as well. But all right, guys, let's wrap this up and put a nice little bow on this cocktail party preview with our one key to the game. Now, I feel like the past couple weeks, the past couple games, I keep saying the key of the game is stopping the run. And I think that's true. Like, it, But it's too easy to say stop the run, to keep on saying that. I mean, duh, yeah, that's Captain Obvious, right? And it's still too easy to say stop the run with even numbers. That's even too easy. So I'm going to go a little deeper here, all right? And two words for you that I think is the key to this game. I discipline. You guys saw what happened to us on defense last year. We were good on defense last year. Not as good as we are this year. We were hurt in that game too. Gotta say that. But I discipline killed us in that game. I've watched every game Florida's played multiple times at this point. And I'm going to tell you with confidence that Florida cannot out-athlete us. They are not as talented as we are. And it's really not all that close. They just don't have the horses to do that. 
What makes Florida tough to defend and what gives them a chance in this game is how they put defenders in conflict with multiple options, how they work constraints off of base plays, how they disguise their intentions offensively, how they dress things up. That is what makes them tough to defend. It's almost like you have to play like a triple option team, really. Like the def- every defensive player has to know your key. You got to know your responsibility on every single play. You've got to do your job. Do not get caught up trying to be Superman out there doing someone else's job. Trust your teammates to take care of their business and you take care of yours. Focus on every single play. One play where you are not dialed in, your eyes get caught in the wrong place can create a big play that could potentially change this football game. So if we play with more general discipline on defense, especially eye discipline, having your eyes in the right place, I believe that we can hold their offense in check because they are not going to out-athlete us. We simply have better athletes. The way that Floyd wins this football game is to get us looking in the wrong place, off balance. That's how Florida beats. They make us play undisciplined. And if we don't play into their game like we did last year, we should be able to win this football game. But we'll be back later on this week with our official Picks of the Week episode where I will give you even more insight in this game and I will reveal my official final analysis and pick for this world's largest outdoor cocktail party game. But that does it for me today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this. I try to give you as much as I got here. Um, I'm kind of wearing down here. My voice, I I feel like it's leaving. I don't know if you guys can tell. I feel like it's just about to disappear. So I'm going to get on out of here. But thank you guys for listening, for supporting the show. We always appreciate that. Again, Charlie and I will be back uh, on Wednesday night for our Picks of the Week episode. So make sure to check back for that. Hope you guys are having a great week. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.